welcome. We're glad you're here. Um, and, uh, you know, happy holidays, Merry Christmas, New Year's coming up. There's a lot of things for families. Um, I also recognize that this can be a hard time of year for a lot of people. You know, typically when you come to the end of a year and you're thinking about Christmas and family, if you've lost family members, family's something that is hard and doesn't feel like a blessing, but a curse. Sometimes this time of year is you just want it to be over. Um, we know the suicide rate goes higher during the holidays. Um, and so, you know, you see all the pictures, you see everything online of everybody having a great time and it looks like all of their lives are together and wonderful and they have no problems, which is not true. Um, and you start to question a lot of things about your own life. And so I would encourage you that if you find yourself in that position or if you're out and about and you're interacting with people, you know, recognize that there are probably a lot of hurting people at a time of year when it's supposed to be a time of celebration. A celebration of what God has done, not necessarily what we can do for ourselves or what we can provide for ourselves. And so share that hope with people. Give people a reason for the hope, what Peter says that you have to other people. It's a great time of year to do that, um, and so I would encourage you. We are finishing up, finally, you can cheer, uh, for our, in our Revelation series, Blessed. Uh, again, this is a time of year where we're supposed to think back of all the blessings from the previous year. We're to think about all the blessings and to give to others, um, you know, as, as we've been given to, and the blessing of God sending his son, which was the plan all along throughout all of human history was for God to come and to save people because we could not save ourselves. It's the unique message of Christianity. No other religion on the face of the world says that there's a God who has to come and save us and there's nothing we can work to do to save ourselves. Every other religion of the world says there's a God and he expects you to do all these things and if you get enough things right and they outweigh your bads, then maybe there's an eternity you won't, that you'll enjoy. That's all the rest of the world religions. Christianity is the only one that says you can do all the works you want to do and stand before God and if had you done them in pride and in arrogance, if you did them thinking of now you're going to stand before God and tell him what, you, what he owes you, if you don't know his son, if Jesus hasn't paid the price for you. If you haven't been trusting in that, God says, I don't know you. You're not a part of my family. You haven't been adopted. Depart from me. And so as we wrap up the book of Revelation, we're coming to the end of the story. This is the time of year when we remember kind of a middle of the story, when Jesus was born, when he came to earth, when he came to save his people and to show what true blessing really looks like. But that's not the end of the story. We're still waiting. And just like from Genesis all the way through the Old Testament, the people of God were waiting for a Messiah to come. We all together now with that group of people who have died and gone on to heaven are still waiting for the Messiah to finally come. That, that's the message of Christianity in a nutshell. It's, it's we need someone who can save us. And if you think about it, this is true in our world today. We love movies, romance movies, hero movies, that talk about someone saving us or that we can become a savior to someone else. It's like the message we long for. And so as we wrap up in the book of Revelation, I want you to remember what true blessing is. True blessing, according to scripture, true happiness, the word blessed means happy, comes from a relationship with God when there's a world that's constantly changing. He's the constant. He's the one that came to save us when we couldn't save ourselves. 
And he is the one that's still in heaven, the Bible says, interceding on behalf of those who trust him. Because we can't save ourselves without his prayers. And without him holding back the wrath of God that quite honestly, if you look around the world, we deserve. And if you look at your own heart, you know deep down you probably deserve it too. Because you know you're not a good person deep down inside. You try to tell yourself you are. But deep down, when you start to dig a little bit and you see the ugliness, you're like, who's going to cure this cancer that I have of selfishness, of pride, of arrogance? And God is good about saying, I can, I will, and I've sent my son. Remember, the book of Revelation tells us what the book is about. It's about happiness. And when you think of Revelation, most people don't think about it as a book of happiness, but that's exactly what John said. John said, the one who reads this book is blessed, should be happy. Those who hear this book or hear and, and keep it are happy or blessed. And blessed is he who heeds this book. That's what Revelation says. The beginning of the book starts with, hey, you want to be happy? Read this book. Know this book. It ends in chapter 22, which we're getting ready to go into today with, hey, you want to be happy? You want to be blessed? Know this book. Know the story. Know what's coming. Know, know what's coming quickly, he says. Remember, uh, in Acts, Jesus told his followers, because, again, when we read the book of Revelation, instead of being happy, we typically argue, we get upset, there's all these conversations. In the book of Acts, he says, so when they had come together, this is the disciples coming together with Jesus, they asked Jesus, this is after he's died, he's been resurrected, and he's getting ready to ascend back to heaven. Right before that moment, the disciples ask him, hey, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? In other words, can we expect finally the happiness we've been looking for? That things are going to be made right, that our lives are going to be taken care of. Like, you've come back to life, you've conquered over death, you're walking among us, so now's the time, right? You're going to kill the Romans, you're going to overthrow the world. Jesus looks at them and says, it's not for you to know the times or the periods the Father has set by his own authority. And we get to the book of Revelation, and we've looked at it the last 16 weeks, and we argue. We argue and argue instead of saying, you know what, we're not going to know. It's fine to talk about it, but as we'll see today, we have to be very careful, because if we're not careful with what Jesus says here, we're going to turn the book of Revelation into something it was never intended to be. Jesus then says in chapter 8, listen, you're not going to know the times or periods, but. Now this but we should be excited about. But instead, we're like, oh, yeah, that's great. He says, no, no, no. You're going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. Like, like you're going to receive something better than just knowing when things are going to happen. You're actually going to receive the presence of God with you to let you know that he loves you, that he cares for you, and that he has a mission for you. And he's going to put other believers in your life who have the Holy Spirit that will encourage you and remind you of these things. He says, that's a better blessing than knowing when things are going to happen. Because that's what will get you through everything instead of, well, I can just postpone that until the deadline. Many of you are there right now. You've been postponing things, and it's deadline time. How happy does that make you now? If you would have walked in the power of the syllabus, right? You would not be there now. It's the same with the Holy Spirit, Right? And you even knew the times and the periods that were coming, and you still ignored the syllabus, right? Some of the things we've looked at over the last several weeks, these are some of the titles that we've gone through. Last week, we talked about coming to the end of the book after all the judgments 
God is making everything new. He lays that out in chapter 21. It is so beautiful. It's what we long for is new things, right? We looked at that last week. This week, what I want to look at, as we think about this time of year, we think about the fact that when Jesus came, God's people had been waiting thousands of years for a Messiah, and the last prophet in the Bible, Malachi, it was 400 years between Malachi and Jesus' coming. 400 years of no scripture being written. Silence. The people of God saying, well, I thought God was going to save us. I thought he was going to come through for us. I thought he was going to deliver us. I thought he was going to come quickly because that's what Isaiah and Jeremiah and the prophets talked about, that there was this idea that God was going to come quickly. And it's been 400 years. And so when Jesus came, he was ignored. Because number one, they're questioning, yeah, yeah, everybody thinks they're a Messiah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We've heard this before, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then when he came, he didn't do things like they expected him to do. Instead, he did it exactly how the Bible said it would be done, which is not our definition. And he defined quickly by what God says is quick, not by what we think is quick. You see, we want quickly, but what we don't understand is you have quickly. Just like we read that verse about the Holy Spirit, the syllabus and the time. You aren't going to make it past 100 years, most likely. You got quickly on you right now. For those of us who are older, quickly's a lot quicker. <laughs> like, oh, wow, yeah, I'm past probably middle-aged. I'm, I'm on the other side of probably, am I going to live till I'm 94? I, I don't know, right? So I'm probably past the middle. You see, Regardless of whether things happen the way you think they should happen or how quickly or if God takes 400 years or 1,000 years or 2,000 years, you only have your lifetime. And it's quick. It's a vapor. And Revelation is supposed to be the book that puts the cap, that puts the cherry on top of the ice cream so that you understand that it's worth it. That you understand that there is a plan happening and it is going to come quickly for you and for those you know that are walking the earth right now, because all of them, everyone you see today, most of them don't have 100 years. There might be a few, you know, God, men and women that live to be over 100, but it's slim. And so it's all quickly for us. And everything happens quickly. Wait till you get older. You know, and you look back and you're like, man, I, it seems like high school was just 10 years ago. It seems like I was just... Our kids are gone and out of the house. It just seems like yesterday they were babies. Like, I don't, what happened? It's quick. And Revelation is the book that reminds us, and when Jesus talks about this as we look, he talks about it being quick. So let's dive in. Chapter 22, verse 1, as we wrap up and think about what's going on. Remember everything that's happened. All the judgment of the earth has happened. Those who don't know Jesus and Satan and his demons have been thrown into the lake of fire. Those that do know Christ have seen the new city and the new earth all around them. Now in chapter 22, it's God saying, now this is how you're going to live on this new earth. This is what it's going to look like, and it's beautiful and wonderful. First thing, he says, then the angel, this is John the apostle writing, and he's talking about the angel that's been walking and showing him through this whole book all these things that are going to be taking place. Then the angel showed me, he showed me the river of living water 
sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb. You know, I love the fact that Revelation refers to Jesus over and over again throughout as the Lamb or the Lamb that was slain. Not the lion, not the king, not the awesome. It's referred to that way, but the favorite reference throughout all the book is this idea that there is someone, there was a lamb that died for you, that was innocent, that you need to pay the price you should pay. And then he says, down the middle of the broad street of the city, the city that came down out of heaven, the tree of life was on both sides of the river. So this tree, you know, when you think of a tree and you read the story, you think of like there's this one tree standing and it looks like an oak tree and it's all round and pretty and, you know. No, no, no. This tree, the root system is all down throughout the city. The roots are all connected all the way through. This is more like when you think of a redwood forest and how the roots connect or an aspen forest and how they weave together to stand than it is an oak tree. It's not an independent oak tree. This thing literally is lined down the rivers. And then it says, the tree bears kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month. Every month, it's like, oh, there's fruit, let's go eat. The leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. When you look at the leaves, you're gonna be like, they're never gonna fall off. Like, we're healed forever. It's all new. And I am so glad to know that the leaves are never going to fall off again. Because I have a lot of trees. And you heard that story a few weeks ago. I'm never going to have to rake leaves again. Praise Jesus. Okay. Then he says, and there will no longer be any curse. There's no curse left. There's no, I have to struggle or fight. Like, I'm going to live forever. I'm going to eat forever. I'm going to be healthy forever. And the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in the city, and his slaves will serve him. This throne, this city, it's going to be glorious. How many of you have ever been to Washington, D.C.? And in, in all of its glory, and the Capitol, and the White House, and you, you walk through, and it's like, whoa, you know, and that is not even going to compare to this. I mean, it's going to be like somebody built Washington, D.C. with Legos compared to this. You know, and you're like, that's eh, Legos. It's, yeah, it's nice. It's impressive, but it's Legos. Kick and it's gone. Like this. This is going to be amazing. And it's a city that the gates are open. Anyone can, who's, who knows Jesus can come and go. It's going to be beautiful. And so he's describing to us this beauty and this glory and Like you go to D.C. and you're just like, wow, this is amazing. It's going to be like that every day, every month. This incredible beauty. Now he uses the word slaves. This is a word we don't like. Many translations have changed it to servant. The word is doulos. It means slave. Now it's bond slave. In other words, it's a slave that's been bought with a price, right? Right? And that slave is so grateful that they've been purchased that they serve willingly. Wait, that doesn't make it any better. See, here's the deal. The problem we, the reason we have such a problem with slavery, which we should in our culture, is because there are no perfect masters in this world. This is a perfect master. Which means you can fully trust him with anything he asks you to do because you know it's beautiful and wonderful and good. And so you will give yourself to it. Because you know how he has purchased you and what he has saved you from. 
And because you know that you used to be a slave to so many other things, and now you only have one master, and he is good and wonderful and giving and affirming and caring and loving, and you're like, yes, I've been waiting and longing for this. We use slavery as an opportunity to enslave our brothers and sisters for our own benefit. God uses slavery to save us from what we were enslaved from before that he bought us out of. It's a different picture. Paul says this in Romans. He says, don't you know that if you offer yourselves to someone as obedient slaves, you are slaves of the one you obey? Why do you offer yourself to people? Why did you offer your money and your life to IU? Why do you offer your time and your effort to an employer? Why? Because there's something you get in return. That's why you do it. That's what Paul's saying. He says, we're all slaves. You, you could say, well, I'm not working for anybody. Great. How are you going to feed yourself? We live in a world, listen to me, we live in a world where, where you, if you can admit it or not admit it, you are a slave, period. We're all slaves. We are enslaved in this world. There's, there's no way out, and we're going to have to choose a master. You can't be like, well, I'm going to be my own person and independent. Great. Death will show you that still doesn't work because death will be your master someday, which is what Revelation talks about. No one's going to get out alive. You think you can master everything and you're going to come down and your health is going to go bad. You're going to, all these things that you thought you had mastered. I ate well, I exercised, I did all these things. How did I get cancer? I mean, I thought I mastered it. I was eating all the right stuff and I was drinking all the right special cancer drinks they tell me to drink and the acacia berries and everything that comes on and the green slime and, you know, it was great. Why? Because we live in a world of slavery and it's, from the beginning of time, we have to choose what we will give ourselves to. That's the gospel message. Paul says it right here. Look at what he says. He says, either you're going to be a slave to sin leading to death or of obedience leading to righteousness. You're going to be a slave of something. You've got to make the choice. Do you want to be a slave to what's right or do we be a slave to things that aren't right and will just lead to your spiritual death? It's a choice you have to make. Jesus came from heaven to earth and became a slave for us in his human form. We don't like that message. Neither did the people of Jesus' day, and that's why they were crying, crucify him, crucify him. We'll show him we don't want you, and we don't want you to be our master. We don't want what you're offering. Because it leaves you in charge and you're telling us to become slaves to others to give our lives and we all want to be masters. Crucify. He goes on, he says, but thank God. How can you in the midst of a world of slavery find thanks and joy and happiness? He says, but thank God that although you used to be slaves of sin, you obeyed from the heart that pattern of teaching you were transferred to and have been liberated from sin and you became enslaved to righteousness. Listen, you know this to be true if you become a believer in Jesus. If you become a believer in Jesus, try to do really unrighteous stuff and see how you feel. 
you will feel like a slave, like an addict. I can't get over this. It will break you. It will destroy you. Because that's not your master. God doesn't want that to be your master. And so you will feel the weight, Paul says, of that slavery. And it will shackle you and you will feel it and hate it. And he says that's a sign that you know God. (laughs) Or that you're moving towards God at least. Because you're not excited about sin, excited about those shackles, you're fighting it and saying, I don't want to be enslaved to this anymore. God, deliver me. Come and save me. That's the book of Revelation. He goes on and he says, having been liberated, then he jumps to the end and he says, but now, since you've been liberated from sin and have become enslaved to God, you have your fruit. Heaven has fruit, the tree of life bearing its fruit forever, which results in your sanctification. Sanctification is a fancy word for you becoming more like God. You becoming more like Jesus who obeyed his heavenly father perfectly, 100%. You would call that, well, is Jesus really in charge if he has to obey his father? I mean, it seems like he's really not independent. I mean, he was 18, he should have, he's 30, he should have just told his dad, hey, I'm I'm 30, I'm out of here i got to do my life now. And Jesus obeyed every Old Testament command, everything that was written about him and for him and by him. Because he's like, I love this. I will not be enslaved to the things everyone else is enslaved to. I will obey my father because this isn't just a slavery relationship. This isn't just a master. This is a family relationship. And while I was purchased as a slave, God tells me that now I am a son or a daughter of him. I brought you in, I purchased you, and you felt like I just want to be your slave. As you see the story of the prodigal son when he comes and says, Dad, I'm not worthy to be your son anymore. Just make me your slave. And he reaches down and he runs towards him and embraces him and picks him up and says, No, you are my son. I'm glad you feel that tension of slavery because it means you now know what the world's slavery feels like. But now do you understand what it feels like to serve me? He's like, Oh, yeah. And I want to do it the rest of my life just to give you all the credit because you're such a great dad. Man, I wish we had more kids like that in this world. I wish I was a kid better than I've been in my life towards my parents and towards my heavenly father. He goes on and he says, and the end result of you eating of the fruit of Jesus and trusting him and seeing that Jesus is the one that makes you right and accepting him and living in that And you becoming more like Christ as you think of him and what he's done and surrendering your life, the end result of that is a guaranteed eternal life, which is what we're reading about in chapter 22. And he says, for the wages of sin, what you are going to earn because you think you're just an employee and you can earn it and you're not enslaved, you are enslaved and it's going to kill you. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Here's the deal. Our version of slavery doesn't give gifts. Our version of slavery says, you do this and I won't beat you. You do this and maybe I'll give to you. God's version is, if you're willing to give yourself to me, I'll give you more than you could ever imagine, think, or hope for. It's a different mentality. He goes on and says this in John, they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads night 
will no longer exist and the people will not need lamplight or sunlight because the Lord will give them light and they will reign forever and ever. Then he said to me, those words are faithful and true and the Lord God and the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets has sent his angel to show his slaves what must quickly take place. Look, I am coming quickly. The one who keeps the prophetic words of this book is blessed. Well, if Jesus is coming so quickly, why has it been 2,000 years? You remember the verse that says a thousand years is like a day and a day is like a thousand years to God? That he's outside of time and space and eternity? Oh, and by the way, if you're reading this book, John is saying, if you're reading this book right now, it means you're old enough to read. It means you're willing to read it which means you have to make a decision about what this book says about Jesus, which means if you do those two things and then you go out at this time period in the first century and tell people about the happiness you have in Jesus, you're not going to live very long. So this is coming quickly for you. It's coming quickly. If you take this book to heart and you tell people the truth of this book, you look at people and tell them the reality of who Jesus is and what this is and the excitement you have and Wow, I guarantee you, your life's not going to last very long, especially at this time. So when he says, it's going to come quickly for you, everybody's going, oh, I know. If I go out and tell the Romans this, I'm dead. Yep. You are. It's going to come quickly. Oh, and by the way, even if it doesn't come quickly, it's still going to come quickly. You're going to wake up and look at your 70-year-old self and go, where did my life go? It's a vapor. And he says, look, I'm coming. That, listen, that should encourage us. He's coming. It's not like you die and you're like, is he going to come for me? He's going to be there waiting for you. We talked about before last week, the bride and the church, the husband and the church is the bride presented. Do you want to see his face? Or are you scared of showing up to your master because you're like, I know everything I've done and I haven't done enough. Just give me a few more years to deal with some more stuff, God, so that I can meet you. If that's your relationship with Jesus, you don't understand the Bible and you don't understand the gospel. That is not the relationship Jesus wants to have with us. That's the worldly master relationship. The relationship he wants us to have is that we can always come to him and confess our sins. We can always come before him and bow before him and say, well, I'm not worthy. And he says, I know you're not. Thank you for admitting it. Let me remind you, I bought you with your price. You're my daughter. You're my son. Let's go have forever together in happiness. Do you long to see his face? I watched a video last night scrolling through Facebook, and watched a video of a family, a couple of kids, that flew the mother's parents in for Christmas from Greece. Totally surprised her mom. She was out Christmas shopping. She's coming in with presents. Her mom and dad are sitting on the couch. She hasn't seen them in years. And they pitched all their money together to fly them in, and they're just sitting there waiting. And she walks in the door, and she's like, what are you guys all doing? And the couch is like back here when you walk through. She couldn't see them. She's like, what are you guys all doing? And she saw them and literally dropped the gifts she just bought on the floor. Didn't put them down softly, like brand new, kaboosh. I'm like, oh, that's not good. And, and she's just overwhelmed and she starts crying and she doesn't know whether to fall down. She's like, she's starting to stumble. Her legs are weak. She doesn't know whether to go towards. 
And her mom immediately, her 70-something-year-old mom immediately gets up and runs to her daughter and throws her arm around her daughter and her daughter's just melting, weeping. This 50-some-year-old woman weeping in her 70-some-year-old mom's arms. That is the picture of the gospel. It's not a God that's like in heaven and he's like, that's what he wants us to have. I'm preparing you to meet me. I'm preparing to throw my arms around you one day. And you're going to drop everything when I do. You're not going to care. You'll be like, oh, thank you. And you're going to want to fall down just as like, oh my gosh, this is real. This is happening right now. That's the picture of our God. And we see it in our culture and we think that's amazing. And then we do this and we're like, oh, I just got got to try really hard today. Why are you trying so hard? Because you really love him or because you're trying to prove something? He loves you. Just love him back. He goes on and he says, you're going to be blessed if you read it. He says, you're going to keep these prophetic words. Prophetic words, the King James Version says the sayings of this book. What do you mean keep? Well, you're going to keep in mind all the time that this is the reality. When the world doesn't talk about this stuff, the world doesn't believe this stuff, you're going to stay focused on the prophecy that this is true and real that was given by all the prophets before and now has been summed up in one But Here you go. Here's the whole ball of wax. He goes on and he says, Jesus says this, because remember, he said, Those who keep the prophetic words of this book are blessed. Remember we talked about the first week what blessing really is. Jesus wanted to be sure when he gave his first sermon because he knew that the people of his day were confused about blessing because they were looking for a Messiah that would come and overthrow the Romans and give them all the Romans' goods and give them an earth and give them all they wanted and all they demand from God because we've been so good as Pharisees and religious people that now it's time for you to do what you said you would do and we've been waiting to do and we've been working so long so that you'll do what we want you to do. And Jesus' first sermon, I still say it's a terrible sermon, first sermon, because you'll see in a minute, it wasn't a terrible sermon, but in terms of worldly, He gives his first sermon and he makes sure to define in the first words that he speaks what blessing is going to look like if you follow him in this world. Week one, we talked about this. We're wrapping it up. He says, when he saw the crowds, when we see crowds and we're getting ready to speak to crowds in our world, when a politician is getting ready to speak to a crowd, he's trying to figure out how he can get the crowd to be really excited about him. He's trying to figure out how he can rally the troops. How many likes, how many people will jump on his Twitter feed? How many people will jump on his Facebook? How many, like we're always looking at the crowds and trying to either be afraid of them or trying to impress them. Jesus is neither afraid nor is he trying to impress anybody because he's God. And here's his sermon. When he sees the crowds... Other times that it says when he sees the crowds, he has deep compassion for them. Why? Because they don't know the truth. He's getting ready to preach. He sees the crowds and he goes, they need the truth. He went up on the mountain and after he sat down, so Jesus is not standing up preaching to everyone. He just sits down. He calls his disciples close, probably like this. Calls them close. Hey, come here, come here, come here. Let me talk to you guys right here. There's a whole crowd. There's a whole world out there. But right now I'm talking to you. So Jesus was not like preaching his first sermon to everyone. He's sitting down talking to his disciples. And then they were going to take the message to the crowds. 
Different picture, isn't it? So then he says, look, he began to teach them, that's his disciples, saying, hey guys, the poor in spirit are blessed. The poor are blessed? The, the poor in spirit? No, 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 the, the mighty in spirit, the, the rich and the wealth, they're blessed. No, no, the poor in spirit are blessed. It doesn't matter if they have wealth or don't have wealth. It matters what their spirit is. Do they understand that they are poor in spirit and need the spirit of God? If they understand that, then the kingdom of heaven is theirs. If you understand that there's nothing you have to offer God, that you are poor and wretched, God's, oh, you're right there on the kingdom of heaven. You're, you're almost there. Then he says, those who mourn are blessed. Huh? If I see someone mourning, I don't think, wow, they're so blessed. They're so happy. They're so blessed. Because the word there means happy. Those who mourn are happy. That's weird. I mean, this would have been such a confusing sermon, right? And then he says, for they will be comforted. See, you're trying to find your comfort in the world by staying happy and staying high and doing all this stuff. I'm telling you, the people that find true happiness are the ones that know how to mourn and then find joy in God and in the heaven that's coming, not the earthly things that are all around us. Then he says, the gentle are blessed. The gentle are happy. No, 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 no. Typically, like, if you're gentle in a football game, you're typically not too happy. You're pretty beat up. The gentle are blessed, for they will inherit the earth. Gentle people don't inherit the earth. They get beat up. Well, no, they don't inherit the earth as it is now. But they'll inherit the revelation earth. Then he goes on and he says, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness are happy. Well, hungry and thirsty people typically aren't happy. They're hungry and thirsty, and they can't think about anything else. You go, no, no, no. Those who think about, they hunger and thirst. I just want to know what's right. I want to do the right thing. I want to know what God says is right because of everything he's done for me. Oh, those people, they're going to be filled up. They're going to have a filling that everyone else is looking for that they can't find anywhere else. The merciful are blessed, for they will be shown mercy. If you're not a merciful person, don't expect mercy back. People say, well, yeah, you treated me that way, then take that. He goes on through all of this. He says, the pure in heart are blessed, for they will see God. If your heart isn't pure, if you've not surrendered your life to God and to Jesus Christ, you will not see him, the Bible says. Jesus says there are going to be many on that day who come to me and say, Lord, Lord, didn't we do all this in your name? And Jesus is going to say, depart from me, you evildoers. I don't know who you are. He goes on and he says, those who are, or blessed are the peacemakers. The peacemakers are blessed for they will be called the sons of God. Peacemakers doesn't mean that we just do peace at all costs. Jesus is going to come to bring final peace, and it's a massive war he wins. Most of the time in our world, there is no peace without war. Somebody has to win, and somebody has to be humbled. They have to go back to the poor in spirit by a peacemaker who says, no, that's not peace, you're going to submit, and that's the process of our world. Then he says, those who are persecuted for doing the right thing. Some of us are persecuted because we're idiots. We think, oh, that teacher failed me. Again, did you look at the syllabus? Well, they're mean. No, they just put everything on writing and you ignored it all. They're not mean. You failed. Sorry, you did. Just admit it. Sorry, I was a moron. I failed. My bad. I paid you to be my master. Now I'm going to have to retake another class to be another master. 
He goes on and he says, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Those who understand that when you do the right thing and you don't, you don't get earthly benefit from it, you understand that's how they treated Jesus. You understand that's how God's prophets were treated and you can think in your mind, okay, I'm doing the right thing. Because it's the way they're supposed to respond to people who share the truth. And then he says, you are blessed when they insult and persecute you and falsely say every kind of evil against you, here it is, because of me. Are they persecuting you and saying evil against you because you, have, you haven't represented Jesus? You've just represented yourself and you've been self-righteous? Okay, that's a problem. But if you've given God's righteousness to them and said, no, that's wrong. This is right. Here's where it says. This is what I believe about Jesus. If you've done that, then praise the Lord. Because he says, be glad and rejoice. So be extra happy. Don't just be blessed happy. Be glad and rejoice happy on top of blessed happy when you're treated this way. For that's how they persecuted the prophets who were before you. The prophets were just people who said, this is what God's word says. Did God really say? Yeah, he said it right here. That's who the prophets were. That's all they did. God says, here you go. That's what we're supposed to be doing in our world. No, God says this. I, I don't know how to get around that. You can say that. You can manipulate the situation to make it say this and that. And that. No, this is what God says. Wow, but that's hard. That's weird. I, I know. I don't know why you're not supposed to boil a baby goat in its mother's milk. But that's what God said in the Old Testament. Not sure why. Scholars today don't know why you're not supposed to boil a baby in its mother's milk. But it was a good law, and you weren't supposed to do it. So don't do it. Maybe they were lactose intolerant to goat milk. I don't know. Maybe it was a worship practice. That that was a common practice that you boiled the baby in the mother's milk to show that you had authority over the mother, and I'll show you. We don't exactly know why. So do we just look at God and go, that's a stupid law. I'm going to boil a baby and a goat. There we go. I'll show you, God. Or do we just say, well, I don't know what that means and I don't know why. And thankfully, we're under the new covenant and God's made everything clean, including goats and milk and everything else. So, but I probably just won't go out of my way to baby, uh, uh, boil a baby goat in its mother's milk just to be like, see, God, I can do it because I'm not under the old covenant. They take that. Probably not a good idea. Again, He's like, just do the right thing. And then he says, look, you are the salt of the earth. Remember, there's no salt anymore. Remember, the sea is gone. Looked at that last week. There's no need for salt anymore because now you're preserved forever in heaven and salt is a preservative. You don't need salt. There won't be any salt in heaven. No high cholesterol, no high blood pressure. It's great. Your food will taste wonderful without having to add salt to it. How amazing will that be? Some of you are like, that sounds very sad. If you live long enough, you better get used to it because you're going to have to take salt out of your diet eventually. You get old enough and salt's out, baby. It's going, you're not getting, sorry. Doctor's going to look at you and go, no more salt. You're like, oh, but it was so good for so long. I know, no more. He says, you are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. And that's talking about the city that was going to come. Jesus is saying, there's a city coming that's going to give light to the nations. We just read that last week. It's going to be the light of the nations. There's going to be no need for a sun, the Bible says, because literally God's going to light up the earth with his presence. I mean, this is amazing when Jesus lays this out in his first sermon. John goes on to say, I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things. When I heard and saw them, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who had shown them to me. But he said to me, don't do that. This is the second time, John, second or third time John has done this. He keeps falling down and being like, oh, and the angel's like, stop it. I am not God. I'm just an angel. Like, he's God. (laughs) 
If John's doing this in heaven with angels, what do you think our tendency is going to be to bow down to things here on earth that aren't God? And give credit to the wrong things instead of giving them to God. And hopefully you have an angel in your life, some messenger, some people in your life who look at you and go, don't do that. That's not God. That's God. And they don't just take credit and be like, oh yeah, we're God. Yeah, yeah, that's great. You just keep praising me. You keep pra-. Don't do that, he says. I'm a fellow slave with you. I, I, I'm in the same boat you're in, man. We're just here enjoying the presence of God. Let me ask you. When you heard and saw all these things like John did, so when you read the book of Revelation and you come to this place at the end of the book where John's at, have you ever read the whole book of Revelation and come to this place and fell down on your face just to worship and tell God how great he is? Or do you typically come to this point in the book and think, arguing, opinions, pride, I hope God gets them. I don't understand this, this is stupid. Or do you come to the place John is after he's seen all this and he's just like, thank you. Thank you that I get to see, wow. I have this confidence that my brothers didn't have. They all died. The prophets didn't get to see what I've seen and know what I know. Man, I'm just, I beg, I, I have not found very many, if any, people who come to the end of the book of Revelation and they are so consumed with the presence of God and who he is that they're falling down just in worship. Most of the time we're arguing. That is just wicked. We should be in worship. He goes on and he says, worship God. He's coming quickly. Worship him. Don't worship all the other stuff and if you're excited you saw this. No, worship him. He goes on to say, he also said to me, don't seal the prophetic words of this book because the time is near. Again, it's coming quickly. The time is near. You think, well, it's been 2,000 years. Yeah, but it's nearer than it was yesterday. And tomorrow it's going to be nearer than it was the day before. Like, it's not like we're getting further out. We're getting closer to an end. We know this scientifically, it doesn't bother us. But then, like, we read this in the Bible, we're like, yeah, but it was going to come. It would come by now. What, you want an asteroid to hit us? I hope it's a long time in the distance before an asteroid destroys us again. But it's gonna, something's going to get us. He goes on, he says, let the righteous go on, unrighteous go on to unrighteousness. Let the filthy go on being made filthy. However, let the righteous go on in righteousness and let the holy go on being made holy, being made more like God. The unrighteous are going to do what the unrighteous do. You can't control them. You can't make them. They're going to make things filthy and mess things up. You don't have to participate in it. You can do the right thing and know the right things and confess and invite Christ into your life to take control and allow him to make you holy. You don't have to be stuck in the unrighteousness and filthiness of our world. He says. He goes on to say, look, I am coming quickly. And my reward is with me to repay each person according to what he has done. That should scare the bejeebers out of you. Repay me? I haven't done anything. Matter of fact, most of the stuff I do, I end up messing up. And I have to redo it. (laughs) But the things that God does through me, That's the stuff that he's done. See, if we're looking for some reward 
It shows if we're doing things to get a reward, it shows we don't understand the power of the relationship. See, my reward is the relationship, not what I get from it. And everybody who's in a marriage or with kids, you know that's the most beautiful moment of a relationship when you realize there's nothing the other person can give me or I can offer the person. We are just one. And that's the, that's okay. Like that's the beauty of a relationship. It's the beauty of a church, the beauty of a family. It's this idea that he's coming. What is his reward? His reward is himself. I'm giving me to you. Like I came the first time and gave myself, I'm going to come and give the ultimate reward, which is a relationship with me. And guess what? If you have a relationship with Jesus, you get all that Jesus has. What does Jesus have? This is not a trick question. What does Jesus have? Everything. Good job. That's not a trick question. If you're married to the guy who has everything, then you have access to everything. If you're married to the woman who has everything, you have access to everything. That's the reward. It's like, oh, he's coming quickly. And his reward is coming with him. The reward of a relationship with him and everything he's got to his disposal. Remember, we read that when Jesus comes back, he's going to be on a white horse. He's going to have eyes flaming, tongue, sword coming out. And all we're going to be is on horses with robes cheering him on. Because he's doing it all. It's all him. We're just going to be like, go, man, go, man, yeah, good job, cheering him on. We're not going to give any weapons, no shields, we don't need him, because he's going to be like, it's going to be over. That isn't exciting. It's like, wow, that's better than the Avengers. Like, that's way better. The Avengers needed a bunch of them to fight. He goes on, and he says, I am the Alpha and the Omega, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. In other words, I'm everything, which is what you answered. Blessed are those who wash their robes so they may have the right to the tree of life and may enter the city by the gates. Remember, the robes are washed in the blood of Jesus. We've read that twice in Revelation. They're washed in his blood made white, pure. Then it says they're going to have rights to enter the city anytime they want. You get all the rights because you know him. Outside are the dogs, the sorcerers, the sexually immoral, the murderers, the idolaters, and everyone who loves and practices lying. Outside of the blessing, outside of the relationship, in the lake of fire burning forever are these people. Notice he says those who practice. All of us are going to do stupid things, but he's saying when you think that these things are going to save you, when you think that it's good to be these things, you're going to be separated from God. By the way, these are all very derogatory terms. And they're meant to be. Do you see how easy it is to become like that? Or do you recognize that there's a God who's going to make you different? Then he goes on to say, I, Jesus, have sent my angel to attest to these things. Now Jesus is speaking directly. I have told John, I've told this angel, this angel has told John everything. Everything you're reading is true and right for you, the churches. Notice Jesus isn't writing this book primarily so lost people are scared of hell and scared of the end and they repent. He is writing this book so churches get serious about sharing the message of this book to the world. That's the point. The point is us going out, representing Christ, making him known. He says, I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright morning star. 
That's what they talk about at his birth. He is the son of David and the star that shone and led the kings, the wise men to Jesus. I'm better than that, he says. Both the spirit and the bride say, come. Look at this. Come. It's an invitation. It's not I'm going to get you. Come. Do you want to come? Do you want to stay where you're at? You can stay where you're at and you're going to perish, but you can come close to me. Anyone who hears should say to others, come. This is why we invite people to the body of Christ. Invite them to small groups. Invite them into a relationship with Jesus. Invite them to church. Invite them. We, we tell them, come. I want you to see this. I want you to hear this. The reason we say come is because we're not as excited about it. We don't believe it. We're afraid. We don't want to be persecuted. We don't want to have to mourn. We don't want all the blessings of telling people they need to come. So we make up other blessings. Then he goes on and he says, anyone who hears should say come and the one who is thirsty should come. You're looking for thirsty people. They're going to be people that you say come. There's water and they'll be like, ah, and then walk away. Okay, fine. <laughs> like you don't need to chase them. They don't want to drink. Great. You're looking for those that might be thirsty and you don't know whether someone's thirsty or not. You have no idea if someone's thirsty or not. The people that look thirsty, you don't know if they are and the people who, who don't look thirsty, they may just be covered it because they don't want to look thirsty. I mean, that's why people die of heat stroke. It's because they're like, I'm not thirsty, I'm fine, I can keep going. And then they fall over dead in the yard. Well, that's good for you. You should have said you were thirsty. I would have brought you a drink. He goes on, he says, whoever desires should take the living water. Remember where the chapter started. The chapter started with living water coming from the throne of God, watering the entire earth. It's free. You don't earn it. It's a free gift offered that Jesus is the living water we long for. Will you accept the gift? You don't go into Christmas, see a present under the tree, and say, I'm not unwrapping that until I do the dishes, Dad, because I love you. Everybody in the house would be like, what the heck is that? It's a gift. Oh, i got to earn it. I don't, want, I don't want you holding anything over me. Gifts come with strings attached, so I'm going to work it off. How much did it cost? $25? Well, that's about what I make. An hour, so I'll work for an hour for you, and then we'll call it good, right? Good, okay. We think that's nuts. But that's what people treat a relationship with God and all the religions of the world do. And our God says it's a free gift. Now, what's the response that you should have as a kid if you open up a gift that's been given to you? And it's a gift that's greater than anything you thought you could ever want. Your response should be to worship. Just, you should be overwhelmed. You should be like, well, Dad, you want to come play with me? Let's, what do you need me to do? Hey, son, would you help me out? Yeah, I'll go help you. No problem, Dad. Now, can we go back and work on that? Yeah, come on, let's go back. I'll never forget. I'll wrap up with this. We've got one more passage. I'll never forget when I was growing up. My dad played a prank on me. I've told this story, I think, once or twice before. My dad played a prank on me. I'd asked for the G.I. Joe Command Center when I was a kid. I was like nine years old. My parents didn't do big Christmases. We didn't have a lot of money. And that was a really expensive gift. It'd be probably a $200 gift today. I mean, expensive. I, I never thought I would ever get anything like that at Christmas. And so my dad, there was a big present wrapped under the tree about the size of the box of the G.I. Joe Command Center. And I'm like, oh. and all weeks go, I'm like, oh. 
this is it. They got it. It's coming. Like, I was so stoked. And then I accidentally went into my parents' cabinets and I found some G.I. Joe guys wrapped, like Santa, you know, thing. And I was like, oh, I'm getting, oh, this is great. Like, I'm all stoked. And I unwrap, and my dad, he's like, okay, you, and he made me wait to unwrap that one last. And I unwrapped it, and I'm unwrapping it, and it's a brown box. The G.I. Joe box has the command center on the front with G.I. Joe across the top. That's interesting. Oh, maybe put it in a box. I pull it out, and it is a koala bear squeaky puppet with two arms and legs that attach by Velcro around you so you can, like, talk with it. And my dad's like, put it on. We want to see you do a little show. And he's like, and I'm like, I am so mad. I'm like, you can tell. I'm like crying. I'm like, but I know if I storm out of the room, my dad's going to like, he didn't, he didn't, he's like, you be grateful for anything you get. If you know my parents, you know that. Like, you weren't allowed to say, if food was put out in front of you and you say, I don't want that, you had to eat it. You had to say, I don't care for that, thank you. You had to respond properly in my house. Even guests. Like, I would warn my friends, don't say you don't like stuff. Say, I, I don't care for that when you come over or something's on the table for lunch. I'm just warning you. Like, I'd warn my friends before they would come over. My dad was a great guy. He just had rules, just like scripture. And so I put it in, and I'm just squeaking it, and I'm not happy. And my, and, and my dad could finally tell. And so he's like, hold on, hold on. I, I forgot one gift. And I'm like, oh, whatever. And he brings out the G.I. Joe command center. And he hands it to me. And I just wept. And that story today just still gets to me. I haven't forgotten it. That my dad was testing my heart. He was testing, will you be grateful? Will you still love me and love this family if you don't get what you want? But you know what? I'll get you what you want, and I'll even get you some things to go with it. They got me a Jeep and a tank and some men, and I was blown away, and I played with that thing for months. I still have it. It's in a box. It's in a tote. I wouldn't let Clint play with it. I'm true story. I was like, I struggle. I'm like, we can play together, but that's the command center, buddy. Like, it's serious. As we wrap up, this is the last word. John says, I testify to everyone who hears the prophetic words of this book. If anyone adds to them, God will add to him the plagues that are written in this book. And if anyone takes away from the words of this prophetic book, God will take away his share of the tree of life and the holy city written in this book. He who testifies about these things says, yes, I am coming quickly. Amen and come, Lord Jesus, come. The grace of the Lord Jesus be with you, be with all the saints. Amen. When you read those final words, your heart should just be like, clap your hands. Like, you, like did I get it right? Dang, I always get it wrong. I can never clap right. So, like, that should be exciting to you. We read the first part and we're like, oh, did I change anything? Oh, I don't know. I may not get in. Like, no. He's not, don't change things, but like just accept that this is, this is what God has written. This is his word. Accept it. Love it. Like, take your share of it and be like, I love this book. I love what I get to know about my God. I love that I get to read the Bible and prepare myself and see how he's, like, I love this because this is what's coming. He's coming quickly.
Amen. So be it. That's what amen means. He's like, he's coming quickly and you don't go, well, could you hold off? I want to see my grandkids grow up. No. Come quickly now. Because I don't know what my grandkids are going to grow up in. I'm ready for you. I, I, have, I have done business with you. I've invited you into my life. I've surrendered to you. I know that you've worked in my life. I know you've been with me. I know you've forgiven me. And I am just so ready. But if you give me more time here, I will go. And I will tell people and invite them so that when they get to this place, they're not separated from you. They can say, amen, come Lord Jesus with me. And that's why we gather as a church, to do this together every single week and remind each other the grace of the Lord Jesus is with you if you know him. His grace is free, it's a gift, and we respond to it by saying, come, thank you, and we surrender our lives. That's the book of Revelation. You want to be happy? You want that kind of joy and be happiness? Find your happiness in him. Surrender to him. And if you've not done that, he came as a baby. He humbled himself and he asked us to come as babies. We'll humble ourselves and say, here I am. I got nothing to offer. I'm just a baby. You're going to have to wipe me. You're going to have to clean me up. You're, I'm a mess. And God will say, yep, I'll take you there and then I'm going to mature you so that you're no longer an infant, but you're someone that can then take care of other infants and help them to grow and become everything that I want you to be. Let's pray. Father, thank you for the opportunity to know you. Thank you for the opportunity to have a relationship with you that we don't deserve. Thank you that the whole point of the story of the Bible is you understand that we rejected you. We embraced the curse instead of embracing the happiness and blessing of a relationship with you. We took from the wrong tree and you offer again in heaven the right tree, the living tree. And even though we did the wrong thing, you tell us never again will we be tempted to do the wrong thing when we're with you one day. Right now, Lord, we're in a battle. That's what Revelation talks about. You wrote a, this letter, this book was written to seven churches. It was written to the churches of the world to give us confidence about the mission that we have to share you with others and to get our hearts right before you. And so, Lord, I pray that this time of year we would take that into consideration we would think about with a new year coming with the celebration of your birth we would think about all that you've done and we would be so excited to know you and we would invite others to come to be a part of knowing you whether that's our family members our brothers and sisters our cousins and people that we interact with whether that's our co-workers whoever it is Lord give us the boldness to believe in the blessings that you said of being poor in spirit and mourning and all those things instead of the blessings we think will make us happy. And Lord, help us to surrender our lives to you in a way that we don't have to look for any other relationship to fill us up because you've given us yourself and you've given us your church. And then help us to be people that are getting ourselves ready for the relationships you bring into our lives so that we can give ourselves to you. We pray. Amen.